Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I am your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks and most recently Heritage Sports Ventures. Our Captain America miniseries continues today with the talented and tireless Kate Zachary, current co-captain for the Exeter Chiefs in the Premiership. She's represented the U.S. in sevens and most recently is captain of the Eagles 15s test team as they prepare for Rugby World Cup successes this autumn. Hailing from Kansas, she is now an absolute menace on the pitch. You can find her down in the West Country of England and, of course, with Team USA. Welcome to Full Contact CEO, Kate. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. We're going to start with a quick just warm-up. I'll just say something, and first thing that comes to mind. Cool. Oh, these are always the worst. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the worst, best. They're the worst, best. They always seem easy yeah. until you actually start. <laughs> Benedictine. College. Me. <laughs> Salina. Did I say that right? Yeah. Salina. Salina. Ah, my youth. Where is Salina? Is that near uh, Wichita? Uh, it's about an hour and a half north, smack dab in the middle of Kansas. Like just farm country? <laughs> Salina itself, no. But if you drive like 20 minutes in any direction, yes. Okay. <laughs> so lots of basketball? Lots of basketball, football, and baseball. The basics. Devon. Devon. Beautiful. Sandy Park. <sighs> Electric. Amazing. The surfers. <laughs> An eclectic, amazing group of people. And what does 257 mean to you? Oh, that's my eagle number. I, you almost stumped Yay! me. Second. Uh, that almost stumped me. I was like, what does it mean? Yeah, no, it stumped <laughs> me too at first. I was like, oh, yeah, you yeah, know. Exactly. Okay, James, help me out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 307, so you're ahead of me. Small victories. You're 50 better. I was going to say small victories. Yeah, so you did. You grew up in Kansas. I did. Well, we moved around a little bit, but a majority of my upbringing was in Kansas. I grew up in a military family, so we moved a bit. Uh, but then by the time I turned 10, um, up through then high school and then college as well, actually, I spent in Kansas. So, yeah. Okay. And then what sports would you do for fun? Sports wise, I played soccer nonstop from, you know, as, as little as I can remember. Um, did a short stint in softball uh, when I was much, much younger. Played with the Pink Ponies. It was really slow and boring, so that didn't last. That was the name of the team, the, the Pink Ponies? <laughs> yeah, we were the Pink Ponies. I remember our pink T-shirts. And it was, again, I was young enough that it was like everyone had to try to play various positions. And I just remember being so bored everywhere I was. So um, Just sitting on the base, being like, yeah, when am I going to get the base. a ball? I did like playing catcher for a little bit. But, um, yeah, I a little bit of basketball from seventh grade through sophomore year of high school. Um, and then just focused on soccer nonstop and then odds and ends of track and field through middle school. And then I did one season of indoor track actually in university. Um, what, uh, what distance? Uh, seventh grade, I did just the long jump in the mile. When I was in eighth grade, I did like all of the relays, like four by one, four by two, four by 400, the medley, etc. Um, and then when I ran my one year in university, I did the, um, 600 meter and in indoor track, which is awful. I have to tell you, it was terrible. Yeah. 
it's awful. And running indoors, it's like you're running in an aquarium. There's it feels mm-hmm. like there's no oxygen. <laughs> yeah, there's no oxygen. There's like little sunlight. It's the it's banked as well. And they range. Sometimes they're like 180 meters in distance, or they'd be up to like 220. So that yeah. what the distance you ran, the 600 always varied. It was very confusing. And it's the worst distance, right? Like yeah. I would say that 800 was the worst distance because it's. You're yeah. still almost in a full sprint, basically. Yeah, in the 800 at least, I think that, you know, there's like maybe like 200 meters you could essentially like stride out. The 600 that yeah. you still can, it's just an extended 400. It's awful. That's awful. On a velodrome, yeah. like a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I think I've almost blacked out from working out was a race once. I like got to the finish line and it was like everything was closing in. And I just like fell over and then I was like, ah, oh, I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> I got this. Did I win? Am I the winner? <laughs> Definitely did not win. So specialized in soccer. Yes. Yes. Many years and of soccer. Did that help you with your university decision? It did. Yeah. I think um, all like going through high school and everything like that, it was, it was my focus. It was, I wanted to do sports. I wanted to go to university and do sports. Um, you know, there for a while, always pictured having my name on the back of a Jersey with a USA on the front. But of course it was more of a soccer Jersey um, at the time. So yeah, definitely going to university was, and that was, you know, they always say don't choose a university based on sport, but I did. <laughs> well, it still worked out, but in all honesty, yeah. all the feedback I give to kids now when I coach, I'm always like, if you want to play sports, play it, but make sure you also look at their degrees and what you want to study. I was like, sport. What did you study? Uh, it was a liberal arts school. So it was a mass communications degree with a minor in art. So the intention of nice. marketing, graphic design, et cetera. Art, minor in art and art history or art studio art? Uh, studio art. Oh, nice. Can you like pen some cool stuff? Not really. <laughs> Realistically, <laughs> it, it probably was more art history in a sense, but because it being that it was like liberal arts, you did a bit of both. So there's a lot of art history, which I really loved and studied abroad in Italy, which was great to kind of bring that full circle and see that. Um, but also did yeah. a lot of like studio art, but it ranged. I did ceramics, watercolor, digital art, et cetera. So. Do you do that for fun now as a hobby? Because you have so much extra time. <laughs> um, yes and no. I mean, I definitely have an opinion when it comes to marketing materials. Can I then go and do them? No. Would I make a great art director? I think so. Oh, good. You can tell other people yes. that their art is awesome. Oh, yeah. I can tell them whether it's awesome or bad and, and why. But can I do it? Probably not. No, no. So you played soccer. How did you get into rugby in college? Uh, primarily the socials to start, obviously, like how all good people find rugby. Yes. <laughs> even our best pl- players, even our best U.S. national team players came at it for, because rugby is just fun. Because rugby was fun. So um, my roommate uh, freshman year started playing for fun. Um, you know, she just wanted to find a team sport again. So she found rugby. Um, I went to a couple games trying to be a good roommate and, and met a few people. But I couldn't play. Um, just being under contract for soccer, you know, under scholarship and things. But so, yeah, spent the the four years I was in university going to games, going to socials, um, got to my senior year. Soccer was over. I was allowed to play. Obviously, it's senior year. I was pretty much done with my degree by then. So the spring of my senior year, I was just obviously enjoying the luxury of of being a, a 21 year old with no, no responsibilities. So um, went to rugby practice. All of our games got canceled. Didn't play a single game. Uh, catch, pass, tackled each other, drank beers, hung out. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I never played a game until that fall. And they were like, Kate, you're an honorary alumni. We're having an alumni game. Come play. So my first rugby game actually was 
our Benedictine College women's team's alumni game <laughs> after I graduated <laughs> college. Um, it was That's super awesome. fun. I didn't know what I was doing. It was the first time I got tackled and it felt terrible. Uh, and I had a blast. And then <laughs> it felt so bad that I had so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I had no idea how to get tackled. So I definitely did all the wrong things, but got up and kept going and it was fun. But um, like you played soccer, just kick the ball. Yeah. Just kick the ball down the field. Yeah. You'd think I'd also would have been a better kicker. The thought never crossed my mind in all honesty. I was like, I have to run at people, I guess. So. Um, but yeah, and then a year or so later, had moved back, uh, was working for my alma mater and started playing again because we lived in a really small town. It was like 10,000 people, no like organized adult sports besides like beer league softball. Uh, so I'm a competitive person. I need something to do besides. Which also can be fun. Yeah, which also was fun. Don't get me wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just missed a competitive nature. I was running to like the YMCA every day and lifting in between, you know, at lunch of work and things like that. But I just missed team sports and like competitive team sports. So picked it up for fun, um, met the right people. And then there went my career basically. What year was that? Cause you got to the sevens program in 14. Yeah. Yeah. So I started playing more regularly in 2013. Um, and then met a man by the name of Bryn Chivers, who at the time was running, that was still when there was the regional rugby Midwest. Yeah. So he was yeah. managing the Midwest selects. Um, and he, he was telling me all about women's teams around the country. And, you know, now looking back, he was referring to the WPL. He was like, cause you can move to Atlanta or you can move here and there. And I was like, I, I don't even, I barely know you. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Really. I have a job at the time as a part owner of a gym as well. I was like, I got life to live. Oh, wow. Like, um, and then, yeah, he, in the spring of 2014 was like, called me up a few weeks later. Um, and I was like, Hey, do you know how to play sevens? And I was like, I, no, not really. I barely know 15s. Yeah. Um, and that's when I went to my first sevens camp when Rick was there um, coaching the women's teams. Oh, nice. That was spring of 14. Yeah, correct. That's great. And then did you, how did you go from there into contract <laughs> residency? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of played a, a bunch of weird 15s. I played like one indoor sevens tournament. So got invited to this camp. Um, and at the time... And the camp was, that camp was meant to be primarily for crossovers. You know, Lev had just gotten to sevens in February of that spring. And I think you just, and like um, Alana Myers, who's now a bobsledder, or she was a bobsledder, but was trying it out. You had a couple yeah. of crossover athletes who had come over and were successful. So the camp I ended up going to was a lot of crossover athletes. Most of them were. There's a bunch of track athletes, yeah, right? Yeah, a ton of, were there a couple a track, ton of track athletes. Yeah out of university as well. Like I was one of the older crossover kids at the time and older being, I was 24, but they're all like 19, 20, 21. Um, but in the early stages of crossing over into rugby, like most in or most kids are still currently right in the U S um, you, know, you cross over at university time. So anyways, went to a camp in April, 2014 did. Okay. And in all fairness, I was quite lost, but everyone was very nice, supportive, um, shepherded me around the field and, yeah, had a lot of fun, learned a lot, went back to Kansas, was like, that was fun, back to work, back to running a gym, you know, um, playing for fun, beer league rugby, essentially. And then in May, Rick called, he was on his way back from Amsterdam Sevens and was like, hey, I'm really tired, you know, how are you doing? I was like, hi, I don't, why is this California number calling me? Hello. Um, and he was like, hey, like, you know, I, I want you to come out to Chula Vista. Can you move here in like three weeks time when the season restarts in June? And I was like, ah. Sorry, what? 
Um, he's like, just go talk to your loved ones, go talk to your friends, family, partners, whatever you got in your life. And just let me know, like, you don't have to tell me today, but yeah, we'd like you to come out to sevens. I've got a contract, you know, here are the details. It's like, okay. Like hung up the phone and like ran upstairs and told my roommates immediately. I was like, what is this real life? Am Am I awake? Am I dreaming? Like, um, and so it was one of those like, why not? I mean, it was a six month contract. My work was really supportive. They're like, go. But obviously, if it doesn't work out, you can come back. So, um, and I didn't intend on lasting longer than six months. So, um, went with just fully open eyes, open opportunity, just excited. I feel like- just packed your bags and we're like, okay, I'll see you. Yeah, literally, I moved out. Like, it took me all day to move out, like, to the last minute that my landlord was trying to move people in. Moved stuff to my parents' house, filled their garage, and then drove cross country to Kansas with. And again, because I didn't think I was going to last longer than six months, I had a bigger rolly bag, like a bin and a box of some shoes. And that was all I went with. I was like, so there's no way I'm lasting on drove. Cause I, why not? I want to have my car and lived on my brother's couch for like three months until I found a place to live with some of the girls. But um, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. That's awesome. And then it's played 14, 15 season. Right? Yeah. How do we do? Um, well, I actually got hurt uh, partway through my first few months. Um, so I didn't actually play a whole lot until the spring of 15. Um, and then that's when I got my first cap at Atlanta sevens in March uh, of 2015. So that was my first cap of sevens, um, which was really right. exciting. We did pretty well at that tournament. Didn't we did. We? we did very well. The spring, the spring treated us really well. Um, Cause we went Atlanta, Canada, and then London and Amsterdam um, and did well in all of those. I mean, the, the team is extremely competitive. I think we didn't have a, many podium finishes per se, but we were definitely like top four, top five that whole spring. Um, right. So in that era, you went through three coaches in <laughs> a year, basically with Sluggo. Yeah. Jules, yeah. Cause then that couldn't have been easy. It was a bit of a transition. I mean, it was tough too. I mean, I didn't, at all those points in time, I always knew I was like still learning a lot. I was behind a lot of really class players. I mean, Jill Potter was still playing at the time and, um, Catherine Johnson, you know, Megan Bonnie, Nana had come into the program at that point. You've got a Lev. Um, we just had so many, so many talented players, so many players who've been playing for a while. So at no point in time was I ever a hundred percent, like I'm definitely making the Olympics until like the last few months when you start to like cuts start happening, you're still there and you're like, okay, like, and I, I did start to feel more confident in my rugby abilities and things, but through all that though, you definitely have the coaching transition, which at any point in time, you never know what a coach is going to want. Um, so there's, there's always that unknown factor of professional sports and coach changes. Did you have clarity in terms of that, at that moment we had Olympics the next year we had a 15s rugby world cup. The next year we had a sevens world cup on home soil. Was it like, okay, we're preparing you to try to peak in one of these and all of these. No, I think even going into the 2016 Olympics, cause I also wasn't even involved in 15s yet, um, until right before the Olympics happened. So even for myself, I think everyone in the sevens program at that time, it was very much just Olympics, right? First outing, it was it was very a, a short-term goal at the time. Like, you know, there's other things on the horizon, but the focus had to be there. The focus had to be on ideally a gold medal, right? Um, and, and I'm sure for the 15s team, it's a little bit different because they're thinking, and now being in the 15s team, you you have to think of that, that big goal. But um, I mean, at the time, genuinely, I didn't, hadn't even thought twice about 15s. You know, I hadn't really talked to a 15s coach, I was all sevens all day, every day um, until, unfortunately, I actually was cut in May. And then that's when I went to my first 15s camp at that point. 
Um, and then that's when it's like, oh, 15s World Cup. I kind of forgot that that exists. Um, and that was kind of the first reminder yeah. about it and, and the big picture stuff. So I'm always kind of been a more, yes, there's a long-term goal, but I like the short-term stuff. So as I got more into 15s and then went back to sevens after the Olympics, that's when I kind of started to think about other check marks. So like you're saying, okay, there's this world cup and there's that world cup. And that, that then for me, I think getting cup was more eye opening to what actually all there is in the rugby world, right? There's not just sevens. There's not just 15s and there's not just world cups. There's Olympics, world cups and all that, everything in between. So while all that's happening <laughs> and you're expected to perform at your peak and kind of hit these generational peaks effectively, you had a business in Kansas. <laughs> You've, what have you done with that? And then how did you kind of make sure that you could make ends meet while chasing yeah. this peak? Yeah, I, I kept the gym around for the first year. I was out at sevens. Um, and after, again, that first six months, it became a reality that I could stay and I, I could potentially be successful. Kind of had to then, at first, make make decisions to kind of move away. Plus, the gym wasn't doing great anyways. We ended up closing the doors, actually. We just made the decision between myself and the other partners to close up shop, unfortunately. So we closed that down um, probably about a year after I moved away, um, which allowed me even just more mentally to focus on rugby and try to pursue it. If I, if I was going to try, I really needed just to go all in. And I think the first few months, I wasn't all in at first. I didn't believe that I could be there. So when I stayed, my contract renewed in that spring of 2015, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. So went full in there. But then over the course of that, yeah, you contracts change, amounts change. Sometimes you have to pick up work on the side. Um, so I started refereeing soccer um, in addition to playing full-time for about two years. So I was playing sevens full-time and then at night refing indoor adult league soccer in San Diego, um, So which was – how did what, like what, like do you have to get certified for that? Like, how do you? <laughs> I was um like oh I can I can ref soccer. I was a good soccer player. I'm gonna ref. <laughs> I actually had been certified in soccer for about eight years prior to that, so I I would always do it throughout university as well, oh, wow. just for a few bucks here and there. Um, sometimes on a Sunday, go rep like go pick up a few games, um, make a little bit of ends meet. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't uh, the idea of hustling wasn't foreign to me. I think when while being at seven, so for me. It wasn't a strange concept, do this, but also in the meantime, go do something else. Um, you know, it's exhausting at times. And I, I had my fair share of moments where maybe you lash out at something that you didn't need to, but you're like, I'm sorry, I just haven't slept. Um, so it's it's tough at times um, to balance it, but it's also finding the ability to just be very honest with people as well. You get to work on communication patterns of like, look, I'm just tired and I'm not having a good day, but I'm here and I'm going to try my best. Um is some days you just have to be in that mindset because soccer refs are like the most hated people now, in the world. They put that in a box with a bunch of people who've also left work and had a bad day and they can slam each other into walls. Yeah. It gets even better. It sounds <laughs> oh, amazing. It was brutal. The, it, the men's nights always ended in a fight somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. Really? A few points. And you're like, whistle. You're whistle. Like, whistle. You're like, Whistle's not loud enough. I'm like, all right, gentlemen. It's you later. Oh. Yeah. I'm tougher than you. Get away from each other. <laughs> I think I actually got more respect How by being a rugby it? player though. A lot of people around the around the, the park realized I was a rugby player and there were a couple guys who were like, You play rugby? I can see that now. I'm like, good, does that mean you're scared me? There's an absolute 
<laughs> there's an absolute yeah. mystique to it, right? It's like, what is that? Does that mean you slam your yeah. body against other people They're and like, throw them to the ground? Like well, you hit yeah. things. I'm like, oh, yeah. And if you keep hitting each other, I'm going to have yeah. to hit you. I don't want to do that. I actually do yeah, it for I just did that. I take people to the ground and I take their things <laughs> away from them. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did that tran- transition? Though? So you 17, uh, 17 Rugby World Cup. Uh, we had decent performances, pretty good. And then back into sevens. So you were just transitioning back and yeah, back and forth. Yeah. So um was back with sevens, did sevens, did like so was at sevens full time, but then also, you know, we would pop off to camps for fifteens. Uh made the the twenty seventeen fifteens World Cup. Um, went over to Ireland and we did we did exceptional. I mean, we took uh we took fourth, um, had a lot of really great games, couple tough losses, but ultimately a really great squad, a really great tournament for us. Especially for the resources we had yeah. going into it, kind of what the preparation was allowed. Versus yeah. Yeah. The else. preparation is always tough. I mean, at, at the end of it, right. You know, the U S is big. So one, just recruiting is difficult from a coaching perspective, but two, getting camps together, getting people in one place, changing time zones, et cetera. And, and then just the financial capabilities, um, you know, to, yeah, I think that staff did an exceptional job over those years with a very yeah, limited yeah. budget. I mean, right? we it's definitely was a, a mixture of networking and, and using facilities of people you know. So um, all of that being said, I mean, we we did have a great preseason going into that World Cup. You know, we met in Chula. We got a lot of players out there. We had, I think, like 50 players before we narrowed it down for the final roster. Um, had a great, great buildup in the 2017 World Cup. Had a great outcome. Um, loved every moment of it, honestly. It was it was such a, a great experience, um, particularly after missing out on the Olympics, like getting to go to a big headline tournament in the rugby you know, world um, aspect was awesome. Um, such a, such And yeah. perform and get perform, a lot of numbers. Play a massive stadium. Because um, once we got to the, the semifinal, I mean, the stadium was packed. It was, it was honestly such a cool experience and so many people around you. So, um, yeah, that was a great outcome. Came back, took a couple of weeks off. And then right back into sevens. Um, so playing sevens, then back in San Diego, um, chasing those tournaments. Unfortunately, had a few injuries throughout 2017. So I, I ended up kind of injury, rehab, game, injury, rehab, game. Uh, yeah. like a wonderful it, was a, it was a bit rough. So going into the World Cup, I had a couple injuries. When we first got out, um, picked up another injury, but then um, found my footing again, had a great buildup into then the next pinnacle event, which was the 2018 sevens world cup in San Francisco. Um, so after having kind of a rough build into 15s world cup, getting healthy, getting to go, getting injured, getting healthy, and now having another pinnacle event, it was just like a really great opportunity just to see rugby in America at that point. Um, so it was cool to experience a 15s world cup, but then how different is the sevens, but not only how different is sevens, but how different is it at home? Um, and it sold out three days yeah. worth or whatever it was. And you guys it was sold out. Thing. I mean, the stadium was packed at all times, women's and men's games, you know, because unfortunately sometimes you go to like a women's event and it's about half full. Men's games start kicking off, more people start coming. So it's great because we're intermingled so much. I mean, the stadium was never empty. Um, and so many friends came. You know, my family's done a great job coming to a lot of international games, but a lot of my friends haven't been able to. Mine is like Vegas 7. So that was really cool. I had a lot of friends and family and college teammates who flew out and watched the game. People who like didn't even know rugby. So my old soccer teammates came. Um, and so that I think was, a, I think that's what made awesome. that one so special, you know, for myself is people from my past life, if you will, um, coming out and watching, which was really cool. 
coming and sharing it. And you think about pa- the packaging of that, just in terms of the future of the sport in North America, it was just rugby is fun, you know, and there was multiple days of people hanging out from all different countries, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, having a great time. Then the product on the field was fantastic. What we lost in the semis, yeah. close game to yeah. New Zealand or something, um, if I remember. Yeah, New Zealand we right obviously there. for both men's and women's ended up taking the top there. But, um, you know, from the women's standpoint, I mean, we still finished in the top half. Um, it's it's a great outing. It's It just continues to build the reputation that we can be a rugby playing country. And I think it that not only proved it continually to ourselves, but I think to our fans and, and the population around us. Yeah, and so at this stage of your career, you're starting to get leadership opportunity. I mean, leadership's a bit of a cliche, but actual defined captaincy roles. Um, you know, was, was it 2018 when we hosted New Zealand 15s? Is that was uh, 2018 at um, that your first? Soldier Field? Yeah, it was my first game captaining the team. Yeah, and just kind of walk through what that experience has been like. What have you learned from that? What makes a good captain? <laughs> um, it's been, you know, it, it has its always its challenges because I feel like those first few months, like you said, it's kind of a cliche because realistically, at some point, we're all kind of leaders anyways in the field without saying it. Um, and I will say in that first month, that first opportunity, some of my feedback after games would be like, I think you were just trying to be too much leading, not as much of a player. And it's it's finding that balance of like, there's this responsibility, but it still doesn't change what you're already doing. And that's why, I mean, I think it's a good point that you say it's like kind of a cliche term and a, and a thing. Like it's important you need that role, but also remembering as that person, like doesn't change what you're doing. You've probably already kind of been a leader to some extent. Um, so just keeping that in mind. But um, no, it's, it's been a, a massive growing career, I think, or growth moment in my career. It's challenged me differently. It's helped me also like just see play differently and, and judge myself. Um, how can I support others? How can I continue to get better and balance that? So um, between that and coaching, I actually think it's helped uplift me to uplift my game. Um, like I think I've made strides in my rugby career um, since 2018, just with some of these other responsibilities and and even the opportunities now, you know, coming overseas and things like that. So um, all in all, I mean, I think it's- right. being a good captain, it's like facilitating communications really with, you know, you do your job, but then really yeah. facilitating the comms amongst the team, but yeah. also with the referee. But then also, I mean, it's also a figurehead <laughs> position, right? It, it sells, it creates heroes, which is great. It's great for marketing and which is very much in your wheelhouse. You mentioned coaching. So are you coaching in the UK right now while you're there? Yeah. Yeah. I coached in the US for a few years. I coached a high school program, a club team, and then a high school program um, for the last couple of years. Um, And then since I got to the UK last year, we we couldn't do any coaching just because club rugby, similar to the US, was pretty shut down for the most part, unfortunately. Um, But since I've come back this year, we've had the opportunity to work with a women's team that just started up, which is honestly that part is one of my favorite things. So you were coaching the high school team and the club team in San Diego and then um, yeah. in the UK. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm helping coach a women's team uh, here. They just started over COVID. It kind of it was a pickup. It's a lot of women who's either kids play or their husbands play or their partners play already. Um, so the club decided, you know, why not create a women's team? There seems to be a lot of interest. Um, so they put the team together over COVID, just played a lot of touch rugby. Uh, and then these last few months – They've decided everyone's committed. They want to make a push to join the league. So this season is a development year. We have to play 
10 games, I think, or something like that. But it's awesome because that is it's this brand new team. You've got anywhere between 20 year olds to 50 year olds. There's mothers, there's parents, there's single moms. There's these people are bouncing jobs and kids and they come out one night a week and they just want to play rugby, run around, hit each other, learn something new. And um, it's it's so awesome. I mean, they're they're great. And they've they've started coming to our games here at Sandy Park. You know, a lot of them have already been men's Chiefs fans, uh, but a couple of weeks ago they came to a home game, like 20 of them did. They just had a bunch of beers. They just had so much fun, loved the environment, loved the game. And I think for some, they'd never watched a live rugby game. Um, and I think it just helped like reignite that kind of like, Oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. And like I could do stuff like that. And I think it was, it was really cool. Um, and then additionally, we're helping with our academy system here at Chiefs. So they're, just, they're starting to build a women's academy pathway to help build more Chiefs players, but also in parallel um, to the English rugby group, which is a bit weird at times. These players are like, I want to be an English international. And I'm like, interesting. <laughs> Can't wait to help you get there. <laughs> Has that helped you? Yeah, I think coaching? even when I started in San Diego, I was still so young in my own rugby career. But um, Hannah um, Lockwood, well, now Hannah Harper, um, as you may remember, she's a U.S. player for sevens for a bit. Um, helps with girls rugby yeah. and, and stuff there in the U.S. So she got us into coaching to help her out. Yeah. Um, and by following her footsteps and eventually she moved away, we took over the teams. I think it's it really helped my career in that moment, especially, I think, jump up a couple steps than it probably would have otherwise. Because you go into practice, you have to make a plan, you have to think about what you're trying to get out of it, like the technical bits, the game sense. And all of that. And it made me really think about it differently and even practice. So then when I'd go back to practice, I'm like, what is the coach? What's the purpose that the coach wants to get out of here? And you kind of start seeing the outcome without needing them needing to tell you. Um, I think it just helps develop that game sense without someone, you know, I guess, teaching it yeah. to you directly. Yeah, seeing it from so different angles. I remember when I started coaching early on in my playing career, and I, I suddenly was so challenged to learn about what everybody else is yeah. doing and how they're seeing the game unfold, and that was so helpful for me as a player. Suddenly, as a as an open side flanker, then I knew kind of a bit more of the thought process yeah. of what our scrum house and fly offs and we're trying to accomplish, and yeah. the life of a prop um, in the dark <laughs> that it is. <laughs> I had a, a sympathy, if not an empathy, for, yeah. for my teammates as a player. Absolutely. How did you end up deciding to do the premiership? Like, how did you make that jump? You know, I know you were you did some time with life. Um, but what was the reason uh, behind that? It's kind of two part. One, you know, unfortunately we were in amidst COVID rugby wasn't being played in the U S I mean, at the time rugby wasn't being played anywhere. Um, England had started putting down parameters to try to make rugby happen. They wanted, you know, the men's had started up. They were trying to find the same parameters to make up a, a women's game that could safely be played, um, while this very unknown event was happening. So, um, seeing that was kind of like, okay, maybe that's an opportunity to play. And then our 15s coach has a relationship being that he had coached at um, Saracens before. So Rob Kane, our coach has coached in the English league before and things like that. He had connections. Obviously he wanted us um, playing <laughs> somewhere and anywhere. So he kind of helped facilitate that. So knowing there was going to be rugby and to an opportunity to potentially play against some of the best players in the world on a weekly basis. 
Right. And I mean, which is awesome. So it's, it's, it's guaranteed competition yeah. effectively in a pandemic. Fantastic. Would you, how would you say like the WPL compares comp competitively wise? It seems the English have really taken off. I mean, they've always had a very strong national team, but certainly the last couple of years, it's yeah, skyrocketed. I think um, the WPL will get there. It's, it's a framework worth following and, and looking into um, not just like partnerships per se with men's clubs or things like that, but more about just, how the investment into the program, not that the WPL isn't trying, but there's some other barriers we have to get over in the WPL again with distance, for instance. And so we do need that, that investment to make it more financially stable for teams to travel also to each other, right? Being town to San Diego is a massive flight or New York. Um, so that ability to have the games, but also financially afford teams to go back and forth um, is a huge barrier that we have to overcome that, you know, England, unfortunately doesn't, you know, our longest, trip is a six hour drive um which like in the wpl sense you can't even get san diego to berkeley in that um so uh, but i think wpl is doing everything it can with the, the parameters they have um, unfortunately though players have to be so spread out and then that commitment to other jobs really takes away from the opportunity um, because what if you can't take off work on a Friday or if the work you're doing has you working on a Saturday, but you financially have to do it. You can't go to a game then you can't get to the gym as frequently. Maybe you don't unfortunately have access to medical if you need an ankle taped regularly, right? Like there's just general player welfare aspects that unfortunately you can't replicate in the U S right now that right. We can get here with our club teams, you know, one, probably because of just size and regional, but there is that investment as well. And you can see what the investment has done for the English team, right? So building a, a very strong premier league, I think is something that's really helped their team be so successful, especially in this last um, autumns. Yeah. So you're playing this weekend. Exeter is playing Gloucester. I think there would be seven, eight Eagles, us, you know, eligible players on the field yes. or on the match day yes. rosters, right? Something crazy, some high number, which is awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, what like what is the setup for the athletes? Are, are these professional contracts where there's um, there's paid up there's pay to play? Is it simply covering costs to ensure that people can get the competition? You know, housing all of all of the pieces to make yeah, that work. Yeah, each, each club team's a little bit different with what they can offer. Um, but at the root of it all, um, there's there's one has to be a basic operating standard, and that is something the whole league is bought into. So obviously, you need to be able to provide things like facilities to players and medical to players so that's something that's a guarantee by joining a club you're going to have some on the medical are you guys insured under the mm -hmm. national health yeah so once you get here UK? because of the visa we're on we do have to be on a visa the visa though allows us then to get an nhs number so at the basic level you do have basic medical care and then within the clubs you at least have a physio um who's at least part partly available they're still there to tape your angles wrists whatever you might need um, which again, sometimes right. back home, you might not always have, but um, yeah, so you've got basic operating standards on top of that though, then um, at least all of the players here and in, including, you know, our non international players, we, we do have a contract, which it just holds everyone accountable and it helps create that professional environment. So it's as professional as a women's contract can get currently. Um, you know, there's a, there's offsetting of costs, whether it's housing or other things like that. So there's a lot of benefits that clubs can offer, um, it just depends on where you are and what the club can provide. Um, so, but 
again, yeah. it's, it's a nice, it's the biggest thing it gives you is a sense of security, which I think is at least coming from my standpoint, it, it helps me buy into the rugby more. Cause I know at the end of the day, I'm going to have food on the table, a roof over my head and someone to, who can look after me. And the chance to play, yeah, of course. And a chance to play <laughs> and get better. Yeah. And, and a really great um, tournament. Is that, are those, do you have, are there, there marketing contracts tied to it as well? Are there obligations in terms of social media? Name um, likeness? Yeah. At the root of it all, it's very standard. I would say it's very comparable to like, if you were to be signing for sevens, you know, at the US team. So there is some, you know, if they ask you okay. to do stuff, like unless it conflicts because you are working, it's ideally we're putting people into marketing opportunities. Maybe it's an interview. Maybe you have to go. Yeah. Rub elbows with someone at some dinner event for a little bit. You know, there's those, but other than that, I mean, obligation wise, you don't have to post anything on social media, but it helps if you want to help grow the program. I mean, Exer is only a two-year-old program now. So we encourage everyone to post more and tell their friends and family because we are trying to create something special down here. So you need buy-in, not just on the field, but off the field too. Right. And it seems like Exeter does a better job of making sure that there's resources across the women's and men's programs yeah. that are that are similar, seemingly. Yeah, I think uh, what, what Exeter's done well in one sense is we we share some of the facilities. So we're, we come to Sandy Park, which is where the men train. While we have separate um, facilities as far as like changing rooms and stuff like that go, one, that's also why would we want to share with them? <laughs> Two, we still have to be mindful, though, that there there is COVID. There's different strands. We, neither one of us can afford to technically to get a bunch of t- people sick potentially. So we still have to mitigate some of the the crossover. But we have a gym facility. You know, we we have uh, sure. access to the team doctor and and those kind of benefits. Um, the training facilities, you know, SNC, the men's coaches as well come out at least once a week and we'll do specialty coaching. So like a nines coach, we have a Fords coach who sometimes comes and watches our Fords coach, provides feedback, et cetera. Um, so I think we've got a lot of great crossover. I know other programs have some, maybe not as much, or they at least share facilities, but maybe they don't have as much like coaching crossover and things like that. And then you have other programs who have very little crossover with their men's um, partners. That's like a bit more like distinct two different teams, unfortunately. Distant. Yeah, and all of this leads up to the point like you know we have a lot of eagles playing in the uk which is great but if we were to etch a sketch today clear runway what do we build here what does that look like, I think, like yeah ideal yeah to and this is, yeah this is a what conversation we that we, we're trying to have um at a national team level and things like that and um what that looks like at the club level and things right because it's it needs to be a whole united system um, we we want everything from high school to collegiate to women's club to national team to be one pathway and it's clear and it's distinct and it's supported um so it's everything from building out our coaching continuing to build out coaching education and opportunities um, to shadow and become better coaches as well referees as well like investing in those folks not just players i think we get caught up investing in the programs just from a player standpoint, but it's investing in the support staff, um, you know, making them the best they can be. And then it's investing everything from helping build up the club programs, helping to create um, more collegiate programs as well. And that gives you the more numbers. So then once you start getting to the club levels, then you start talking, you need support. So is that partnering potentially with the men's team or is it partnering with some something you need the investment though. You need someone to take a chance and invest in the program. Cause if you invest in the program, you get butts and seats, which then allows you to generate more revenue, which allows you to get the streams that you need 
which allows you then to pay the players more and get the things you need. So it's always tough, but at the root of it, it's just finding the right. investment opportunities and the folks who are willing to invest in it. Because just like any small business, once you get the investment, that's when you start to like generate more buzz and you're able to do a little bit more grassroots and, and start spending money on marketing. But at the end of it all, like I said, it, it has to start though at the bottom too, which is investing in the youth, investing in the coaches and referees as well. A hundred percent. But let's just take that peak there, that professional, you know, play for the U.S., be a professional player, opportunity, potential opportunities. Is that mm -hmm. the, the big issue right now is competition, right? I think, you know, for us, as we look at it, is who would we play um, in the short term? And is that through, then do you through, do it through a mechanism like the WPL? And is that acceptable where you have a team with, you know, a quarter of the team fully professional, half the team semi-professional playing against teams that have to yeah. pay for their own travel. Like what is the... Yeah, I think there will always have to be that balance to some extent because, again, even here, right, the contract levels vary. Um, and that's just because you're also trying to still build up the younger kids who don't necessarily need all that, but they do need to be... They need to be following someone who's professionalized. I mean... If you look at the MLR, for instance, you've got a few international players per team, but I think they're genuinely helping develop some of the younger players coming in. So you have to also think about it like that as well. Like, who are you investing in to become the next best, but who are you also investing in to help the next best person come up? So there, there will always have to be that at that level, right? Investing. Right. So WPL creating some kind of platform that makes people want to come and play in it. Um, I think maybe it's, is it potentially looking into more cross-border rivalry tournaments as well, or a league where, right, you've got Toronto Arrows who are in the, the MLR. Is it something like that where you've got five U.S. teams and five Canadian teams or something like that, and, and you're able to get that kind of cross-battle competition? Because, I mean, Canada's right. stock full of, of fantastic, Canada, uh, sorry, rugby players. So is it something like that too, where it's some yeah. joint competition? Yeah, you look at East Coast, you know, with Ontario and then Quebec, New England, yeah. New York, the D.C. area, pretty quickly yeah. then you can have a fairly robust competition, yeah, exactly. right, where it's all travel yeah. by bus. And obviously you still the then have part. a few that have to do the longer mm -hmm. flight, but if it, it obviously evens out in a sense where it's like, well, someone's got to fly here, but someone's also got to fly there. And I think that's, that's one opportunity just to increase the um, – the competition level there's a lot of great u.s players but also we we should be trying to play why not make make the use of canada just being across the border um and playing a bit more in competition because even here in the uk in the league right you've got irish players welsh players scottish players even some french players right like they only have to cross the border and it just helps develop you know the program as a whole and it challenges the english players so it's kind of the same concept why not yeah. utilize what's already there so speaking of the English and just the growth of the Premiership and what we could do here in the future, hopefully not too distant future, World Cup is around the corner. The build-up's looking What's good. Build We've got um, we'll have a, a few camps here this spring um, going on uh, in the UK and in the US. In uh, the summer, we'll have a couple build-ups. Still finalizing those details, but anticipate um, a couple games and then a nice long preseason um, is what we're kind of calling it. Because that's what it is, essentially, right? It's a preseason for the World Cup. So a couple really great weeks together just to put all the pieces together, ideally culminating in a couple games, and then we're shooting off to the World Cup uh, late fall. And so it's delayed a year, and then also, like no. I think, like two weeks shifted back. <laughs> I can't believe you guys have had to manage that. That's so tough.
I think for us, because we've had a young team, that's actually maybe. I think so. I had this. We positive. had this debate last year. Even it was kind of at first you were sad because it is tougher on any of your older players who potentially are looking at retirement um, afterwards. But on the other hand, I don't think we would have delivered the package that we would have been proud of. I think we would have gone out. We would have done well but I don't think we would have necessarily been proud of what we put out. And that's just because it, we weren't able to train at one point for like four months. So um, not that we couldn't do yeah. well, but it just wouldn't have put people on their best foot forward. So number one, it's get out of pool play. It's, it's do really well. It's, I would like to see us. And I think we have a strong possibility of, of coming out of pool play. Number one. Um, I think that's for starters. Uh, yeah. So us, we have our pool uh, already, Canada, Wales, and Japan. So yeah. Yeah. I think, um, oh, never had great. the opportunity to play Wales, never had the opportunity to play Japan, played Canada. I feel like a hundred times over. Um, so it, it'll be really exciting yeah, to play times. two new teams, which also comes with a bit of unknown. Right. But, um, yeah, so goal number one, come out of pool play on top. Um, and then from there, take it game by game. But I think we have a strong possibility of bettering our last, but it's not about just bettering our last. It's actually, this is a whole new cycle. So it's just about being better every tournament and every game. Um, so I think get out of pool play and then just do better every game and ideally chip our way to the top. That's great. It's going to be super exciting. The And then what happens? Are you going to tell Brady this? I'll just keep playing. Like I started so late. And a half. I have years to make up for. Um, yeah. No, definitely. I think, yeah, exactly. um, again, my mind is like just a few milestones here at a time. So I'm very much right now, right now. let's get through June. Smart. Take top four here in the Prem, ideally take number one, then recycle, reset our minds, start USA camp, make World Cup. After World Cup, just kind of um, probably plan to take a few weeks off mentally, physically, emotionally. I mean, it's it's been such a big year. Um, my partner is also graduating, yeah. so we've got a lot of moving parts, just even as obviously the couple. And the dog everybody? is the in family? America, sadly. Um, with the grandparents. And then my partner, she's actually okay. in London this year going to school, which is nice. So we spent last year apart um, just to add to okay. all the other changes in rugby and life. But um, she's in, she's chasing her dreams now, which is fantastic. I think it's, it's really unique that we're both able now to chase our dreams um, and be in the same country. So um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, That's really awesome. we'll see. Yeah, she graduates in December and then it's away. kind of what opportunities arise for rugby and career. So I'm loving it. As of right now, there's, there's no end in sight for me. 2018, um, I started working for a company, a remote based company out of San Francisco um, that's afforded me the opportunity to, to do rugby. Um, they've been really flexible with obviously taking calls, shifting calendars around, but um, my role is client facing. So I have five different clients that I speak to weekly um, and I think biggest thing is just finding that opportunity to be open with them and just showcase, just like you would on the rugby field. Like I have to be out of office for a few days next week, but one, the ball will never drop. I'll over communicate, et cetera. And it's a lot of the same principles. So my clients honestly are amazing. Um, I got on a call this week and one of my clients is like, Hey, did you get a yellow card last week? And I was like, wow, wait a Way to really start the call this week. We're bringing <laughs> rugby into work right now. Um, yeah. And I was like, sometimes I wish he didn't yeah. read our news. But I'm also like, I love that he's so into following yeah. my rugby career. Um, that is awesome. <laughs> I mean, you're like, yeah, yes, but I didn't deserve I did, it. may have said that. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing this on the side. Um, 
well, I shouldn't say on the side because technically it's my full-time job and rugby's on the side, but um, they've been supportive. You know, I, I yeah. called them up one time last year and I was like, I have this opportunity to go to England. I'm going to take it, but I also need to work. Um, and they were willing to take a chance on it. So I've uh, been able to, f- to flex hours. I do work until like two in the morning and I sleep till like 10 a.m. But um, yeah, it's it's tough at times. But on the other hand, that, you know, unfortunately, we have to keep a career always available. Um, yeah, but credit to you for continuing to do that and having the discipline to do that. It also, yeah. I think, sets you up well as a player, you know, because it, it, it takes away some of the angst that yeah. you're hanging your hat yeah, on. Yeah, you can thing. still find the balance. That's I mean, I'm very much very all in for rugby, and I think my work realizes that at times. Because sometimes they're like, can you come to this meeting? I'm like, no, I have a rugby meeting. And they're like, should you come to this one? I'm like, I mean, I should, but I'm also going to choose this rugby meeting. Um but it's it's good to have. It is unfortunately a safety net that you kind of have to have, but also mentally, it's also nice to have though, to know that um, in that worst case scenario situation, you know, I'm still going to be okay at the end of the day. Um, you know, there's still something for me outside of rugby. Um, so I think that's, it's something to have and it's something important. Yeah. Super, super healthy. Rapid fire. If you weren't a rugby player, uh, realistically, I always um, regret not potentially joining the military and going that route for a little bit. I know, very strange. <laughs> Interesting. The best best leader, leader I've worked, leader with. Um, worked with. I think one of the best leaders that I've really enjoyed working under was um, Tiff Tiffany Faye. I'm um, going to the 2017 World Cup. I just really enjoyed like the energy she brought, the leadership style she had, and everything. Awesome. That's great. She just, yes, I think so. she just yeah. take over yeah. at Life West? Yeah, she's, she's really grown her um, coaching career this last yeah. two years. Good for her. Uh, favorite, country Ooh, favorite country and rugby ground to play in. in. Um, let's see. Let's see. I would say playing in Twickenham was probably one of the coolest events um, that I've played in because we went on right after one of the men's games. So the stadium was still packed with people and you just couldn't hear a thing. And it's closed in. There's That's big awesome. boards and lighting things all around. I mean, it was just, it was a whole, it was a whole lifestyle. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Yeah. When they used to do the London Sevens, it was a um, pretty fun couple of days. <laughs> Biggest culture shock. Um, living in everyone's okay with how cold and rainy it is all the time. Really? I'm more acclimated to it this it's year, but like, last year people were just like, let's go do stuff. I'm like, it's pouring and like 40 degrees. I'm not going outside. They're like, yeah, we've practiced. And then we're going to go do this afterwards. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm going to put on sweatpants. I'm going to turn the fireplace on. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Just, they just keep going. They just keep, and keep, keep going. calm and carry no, on. It's, it's raining and cold. You're insane. Yeah. And you can't no, make everything's it like the wet. snow. You can Miserable. go skiing on it. Or make <laughs> I'm acclimated this year, and I, I far more appreciate it. But last year, complete yeah. culture shock. <laughs> I appreciate the cold. I appreciate the wet. It's amazing. Last question. Ask everybody. If you run the Free Jacks, Jacks today, today, what would you be focusing on? I would continue to focus on a lot of that community development you guys have done. I mean, the outreach has been absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, youth, women's, men's clubs, et cetera. Um, just the family environment you're building is amazing. Well, good luck this weekend. And everybody be sure to follow Kate and her journey in professional rugby in the UK and particularly heading into the Rugby World Thanks, Cup. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Best of luck. So good to have you on. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO. Be sure to subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Keep an eye out for the Free Jack social pages for all the latest team news, rugby happenings, and all the good stuff in the world. 